0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Has anybody else had one of those weeks where you know you get here and you're just like, ooh, finally, (laughs) finally, a day off, finally. Finally an opportunity to be at church somewhere I want to be, finally, finally. I've had one of those weeks. It's just been long, it's been hot. Somebody needs to tell the uh, weatherman that it is September and not July. Um, It just gets crazier and crazier every day you go out there. It seems like it's getting hotter and hotter. Makes for long, long weeks. But, oh, shut up, Richard. (laughs) Global warming. I got one thing to say to people that believe in global warming. Prove it. (laughs) Just prove it. I mean, if you'll bring me evidence, I'm in. Just prove it. Global warming. That's why we changed it to global climate change. Are y'all in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 yet? I hope so. Let's, Let's read it. Let love be genuine. Father, and our God, we do again humble ourselves before you to say thank you for this another day of life and thank you for another opportunity to be gathered in your house. Father, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word and your message. Father, I pray for your guidance and your direction as I deliver this message and I pray, Father, that you would allow this message to grow us closer to you and closer to the image of your glory that you desire for us to be. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, marks of a true Christian. May be the heading in your Bible at, at um, Romans chapter 12 starting in verse 9. Um, characteristics of a true Christian. Um, habits of a true Christian. All of these words would fit in this heading. Paul gives us a list, and you know, um, a lot of times we don't have very clear things to point at and say, if somebody asks, what does a Christian look like? But in this instance, what does a Christian look like can be answered by pointing to Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Paul gives us a list of characteristics, a list of traits that will mark a true Christian. This is is what will define a true Christian. And this isn't my belief system. This isn't something I came up with. This is straight out of the Word of God. This is Paul's list. So if we want to see what it looks like in the life of a Christian, this this is it. This is one of the lists. This is one of the places to turn and find that information. Now, you know, this this came about back in uh, July... I think Miss Chastity had surgery. Kevin wasn't here for some reason. I filled in one sunday and and um, this is where I started. I told you that morning I joked that I was going to start my uh s- series of sermons on the book of Psalms um, because that was the longest book, and it would take a while and it'd be my turn for a long time um, but I actually started this this little series, what I'd call a mini series right here in in the book of um Romans and and I didn't go immediately back to it because I, was, I was, um, had some other things God had laid on my heart in the meantime, but today we're going to go back to that and start this series. Now, I had debated all week uh, with myself and with God about whether or not to start all over or just pick up where I left off, and, and I said, well, well God, they, they've already forgot. I mean, that was back in July. Uh, they, they've already forgot what I preached that Sunday, and he said, it don't matter. They'll forget it again if you preach it again, so... I wish that weren't the case, but it's the truth, right? There was this gentleman having an, a discussion with a um, pastor, and this guy was uh, somewhat of an atheist, not really a self-proclaimed atheist, but you know, just didn't really follow along very well with the gospel and all of its ins and outs. And, and he said, you know, there's one thing I, I don't get is I've been going to church for most of my life, and, and for most of my life I've heard different preachers and, and at different places. And, and he said, I can't say I've been every Sunday, but I've been a lot. And he said, I cannot recall everything that's ever been preached to me in church. So therefore, I find it useless to even go. I can't remember all of that stuff. And, and the pastor said, well, let me, let me enlighten you a little. For 25 plus years, I've been married to my wife. And for 25 plus years, Day after day, she has cooked me meals. And I can't for the life of me recite to you what was on every one of those meals. But I know for that day, for that time, it was enough to get me through. So although you may not memorize the things that are taught to you, and you may not remember it all, it's enough to get you through. It's for that time. It's for that now. It's for that situation. And then as you try to decide as a pastor and as a preacher and as a teacher, you try to decide and decipher, you know, how to go about doing these things and whether to back up or start over or carry on from where you're at or do a little review or do like Kevin and spend 45 minutes on the review and then start the message or, you know, how you go about all that. You just have to kind of let God guide you through those steps or those processes. you you know, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin said it'll be my turn again one day. <laughs> I'm acting like he ain't never going to get a microphone again, Ronnie. I've been kind of brave this time with picking at Kevin. Of course, the first time I got used to it, he wasn't here, so I thought it was kind of safe. And I remember they record all this mess. <clears throat> so anyway, we're going to have a little review this morning. <laughs> In Romans chapter 12 starting in verse 9 and we're going to talk about these things in order and I can't tell you that these things will be done in order, I can't tell you they won't be and I can't tell you that, that I'll do one a week or two a week or how it'll go but I can tell you that if you would like to try to prepare for the messages that are coming your way the, the way to do that would be over the next few weeks to dig into Romans chapter 12 starting in verse 9 and look at these things and take them as individual things and see if you can get your mind going in the direction of this scripture. And then when you come in here, then you'll already be thinking in that direction and then the things I see, say will might make a little more sense to you and you may be able to retain them a little bit better. So we're going to start in verse 9 and the very first thing on this list of things that Paul has given us that he says is the marks of a true Christian. If you want to, if you want to see what Christianity looks like, here's you a list. The first thing it says is And not by happenstance, not by coincidence. The first thing it says is, let love be genuine. Now, again, I went into this in great detail back in July the 21st. And you can go back and and get that uh, message off of our Facebook page. I don't know how it's done. I just know it's out there somewhere because people come and tell me they watched it. I know if you go to YouTube and search my name, it stuff comes up. That's a scary thought. I'm just going to go on and tell you. That's a scary thought. I thought about getting me. Y'all feel dead to me this morning. I ain't getting jack back from now. Ronnie has got it. I mean, he has bohoed and and belly laughed twice already. Some of y'all ain't giving me nothing. I feel like I'm in front of a bunch of folks that ain't never seen me before. I'm fixing to break down and give testimony and explain to y'all who I am so we can get caught back up because I feel like we ain't friends no more for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) One way. Y'all forgot. Right, Johnny. Right. Yeah, lots of help there, John. (laughs) Let love be genuine. I, I... a thousand times we have went through the, the description of love and, and the agape love and, and how the, whoever translated the English language got lazy when it came to the word love. And, and I've given you the examples of I, I love ice cream, I love my wife, I love my dog, I love my daughter, I love my parents, I love my church, I love my Jesus, and all those things, there's no way I can love them. The, that word can't be interchangeable like that. And the scripture isn't interchangeable with it. There's three different kinds of love. And the love that is called calling genuine love this morning is agape love. And that's the love that you get the definition from in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 8. And and I'll let Nathan go there for you and and you can see this and, and we'll read this just because we're bad to forget. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at the wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things and here's the kicker to it all in verse 8 love never ends The best way to know if what you're displaying is agape love is to look and see if it ever went away. Because if it left, if it quit, if it stopped, guess what? It never was. Because agape love, by definition, never ends. All those other things are characteristics and there's no doubt about it. But if you want a surefire way to find out if it was in fact agape love, if it ever ends, it wasn't. So that's the kind of love that God expects us to put on display as true Christians, is agape love, a genuine love, a never-ending love, a love that hopes all things and believes all things and endures all things. And He wants us to take that love and spread that love and show that love and share that love. And He wants that love to be a genuine, wholehearted love. And He wants it to be, he wants it to be the, the basis of everything inside of us as individuals. And He desires for us to spread that love in so many different places. And I'm going to run through this list really, really quickly. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter two, uh, chapter 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. I was going to run through them quicker than that. <laughs> See, nobody is immune from me picking at them. I'll just go on and tell you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this. The love of Christ controls us. Now think about that. The love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Self no longer exists. you know what's the root of our problems as human beings? We're selfish. Us, we're selfish. What keeps us from displaying genuine agape love? Selfishness. Because more than I want you to have what you want and need, I want what I want. At the root of everything I do is what I desire. Right? How do I decide what car to buy? By the one I want. How do I decide what, what house to buy? The one I want. How do do I decide how how to treat other people? Whatever's coming back to me. What I want. In other words, if you treat me good, I treat you good. Right? That's at the heart of us, of every one of us. That is the heart of us is selfishness. And according to this, we have to allow that self to die. To disappear. To go away. And to take on this new understanding and this new life of it ain't about me to be driven by the love of Christ, the love of Christ being the fiber of everything we do, every decision we make, everywhere we go, how we go about it, how we treat others, how we respond to how other people treat us, right? That has to be at the basis of everything. The basis of all is the love of Christ, not selfishness. Now, that's not going to be an easy changeover, but it has to take place. Look at this. Go to Ephesians 5.25. We're going to get a list of people we're supposed to love. Ephesians 5:25 Husbands love your wives. Go to 1 John 4, seven. Beloved, let us love one another. Right? Luke 6:27 through 31. But I say to you who hear Love your enemies. So as just by these three scriptures, I've come up with spouse. I've come up with one another, and I've come up with enemies. So at what point do I have an excuse or permission from God to not love somebody? I never. I don't have that. That's not available to me or anybody else. So this let love be genuine. This first mark of a Christian is a person that loves people in general, period. And loves them to the point that God loved us. Right? Not kind of like them. Not love them as long as they're doing right. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? So when we were not likable... When we were unlovable, Christ loved us, and He expects us to put that same thing on display. Listen, we're talking about the marks of a Christian. We're talking about the characteristics of a Christian. We're talking about the traits that mark a person that believes every word of the gospel, that follows Christ as their Lord and Savior. These are your characteristics. To let love be genuine starts the list. Not by chance, because I'm going to assure you of something. If you can't get that down, you can probably throw the rest of this list away. <laughs> if you can't love to learn to love. And it's going to require you to be unselfish, which means self has got to die. Right? This is going to be a process to take on these traits and take on these characteristics and live in a way that these things are on display day to day. Not just inside the walls of this church. Not just to this group of people that sits among you Sunday in and Sunday out. Every day of life. Wherever it may take you, wherever you may go, wherever you may find yourself. One of the greatest things, there's a lot of things about my job I don't like. One of the greatest things about my job is the opportunity to encounter people. On a daily basis, I don't never know who I'm going to come across. Some days it's a good thing, some days not so much. But, but every day there's a chance that I'm going to go to something to work on something and there be somebody there. Some operator, the owner, a farmer, uh, an employee of another company, a boss, at a, I've, everybody. And one of the greatest things to me is, is people. I just like people. I used to think my dad was crazy. I told this to a guy this week. I used to think my dad was crazy. We would go places and he would go with us, whether we're talking about on vacation, we'd be at some kind of amusement park or some kind of mall or or if it was, it didn't matter. Whenever we went places, if there was a spot to sit down outside, that's where he was going. Regardless of how long it was going to take. If it was going to be a six hour deal or it was going to be a 30 minute deal, he was going to sit on that bench. And when you came back by, when you came back, he'd still be sitting on that bench and somebody'd be sitting with him. And that poor sap had sat there and told my dad everything there is to know about themselves. (laughs) Right. The first, the conversation would start with, you see that guy right there? You ain't going to believe. And I'm going, oh my goodness. How did you get that much information out of somebody? The thing was, is he liked people. He loved people. He enjoyed people and he enjoyed learning about other people. And he'd sit there on those park benches and and in those malls, and he would study people if there was nobody to talk to, but if there was somebody to talk to, he'd talk to them. And somehow or another, I developed that. There's another thing I developed from him I'll tell you about sometime. It's kind of funny. This one ain't really all that funny. But I got that that desire for people. Now, at the root of me is selfishness. And at the root of me, I don't really like narrow one of y'all. Because you may be getting in the way of what I want when I want it, right? That's at the root of us. In other words, there are times that every one of us can say, I would rather be off by myself with no people. I'm tired of people. You can say that. You endure that. I endure that. But on the other hand, there is a love for people and a desire to be around people. And and I get to encounter these people and talk to them and talk about different situations. There's a guy I've been ministering to through my job um, over the last few weeks um, whose wife is pregnant, she's not very far along, and she's already on bed rest. And, and things don't look good for her or for the baby, just to be honest. It's just not a good situation. And, and I encountered this guy on a regular basis, and he knows that I'm a pastor, and he knows that I'm, I'm a Christian. So when I encountered him here over the last couple of weeks, he just kind of came to me and opened up, and I had the opportunity. And you know, for the most part, these opportunities will come at a time when I'd rather be by myself. When selfish Nick is driving the truck is when those opportunities come, right? When I just assumed they'd parked it out there by itself and nobody was around and i get to go just work on it in the grease and oil and it just be me and the machine and not have to deal with people. Because see, at the heart of me is still selfishness. That's why the traits right here that we're talking about, that's why it's so important that you be mindful of what they are because at the root of you is selfishness. But what God desires from you is the opposite of that. So what I'm telling you is, is your love for people, you may have that love for people. You may have a genuine love. But here's the key to it. It's got to always be on display. (laughs) Even when selfishness tries to rise up, I have to figure out how to suppress that selfishness and make self die so that what people see out of me is genuine love. Because, listen, we're fixing to go into a list here that if you can't get genuine love, if you don't understand genuine love, there's no way the rest of this stuff is ever going to come out of you. Because you're fixing to be told to hate evil while you love people and hold on to the things that are good, which in my mind tells me that even if I see evil in a person, I have to overlook the evil, not overlook it as in forget and ignore it, but i got to look past that enough to love them enough to try to lead them to the things that are good, right? Because it's real easy to look at abhor evil and go, well, that's an evil person. The Bible tells me to hate evil. I just ain't got to deal with that. But you got to love them genuine love. you got to have enough genuine love that you don't desire the evil, but you desire for that person to be out of that evil, right? Now, you've got to avoid things in your life, and it does mean that as well, but it's not talking about people because God's love for people is universal. His his love for our actions may not be universal, but His love for people is universal. In other words, He loves the least of the sinners as much as He loves the greatest of the sinners. There's, There's no separation. His desire is that all people would be a reflection of His glory. The reality is that's not true, and that's not the case. But He would desire it to be that way. He created us to be that, and He didn't just create me to be that. He created us all to be that. So now we've got to move on to this abhor evil thing. The next statement in in our abhor what is evil, and tied to that is hold fast to what is good. Abhor is another word for hate. You should be disgusted by evil as a Christian. It should drive you insane to see the evil, the bad things of this world. How many of you have seen evil this week? (laughs) (laughs) Right. If you opened your eyes in this world we live in, you have seen evil. It's for us to despise that evil. But there's a thin line here because we've just been told to let love be genuine. A lot of times the evil comes with people, right? And we're told to love the people and hate the evil. And sometimes that's a precarious place to be. As a matter of fact, there are people that believe you can't do both. There are people that are convinced that you can't hate their lifestyle and love them. Those people exist, but they're wrong. (laughs) They're wrong because God does it. See, these characteristics that God's given us are reflections of Him. What what He desires for us to be is a reflection of Him. So if we'll take on these traits and these characteristics, then we'll be a reflection of Him, which means that if He tells me to hate evil, guess what? He hates evil. He despises it. But He's able to love the people. While he hates the evil. Now, this hate for evil has to cause us to have have some kind of a sensory deal that causes things, lights to go off and, and our eyeballs to flash and all that stuff when we see it and recognize it as what it is because here's our habit. Here's what we do. Because we are so selfish and because we want what we want when we want it, we will snuggle up to evil and rename it and pretend like it's no big deal. Amen? We do that. We rename it. We call it something else so that it doesn't sound like evil, it doesn't sound like sin, it doesn't look like sin, and we go to bed with it. We take it with us everywhere we go. And we cuddle up to it and it gets cute and fuzzy. And before you know it, we're walking around with it on display and everybody else going, huh? And we're looking at it like, well, what's wrong with him? He ain't got no right to judge me. When the Bible has very strictly and plainly told us to abhor evil, you can't rename it. You've got to call it what it is. Sin is sin, period. And not because I say it's sin. Because God says it's sin. If He says it's okay, it's okay. If He says it ain't, it's ain't. End of discussion. There's not much way for you to hate or despise or abhor evil when you don't view it as evil. So the first thing we've got to do is figure out what God calls evil and label it as evil. Quit calling it something else. And and the biggest, in my mind, the biggest example of this is is abortion. If we called it what it is, which is murder, nobody would want to do it. If we took gay marriage and called it sin, which is what the Bible calls it, nobody would want to do it. But if we rename it and call it a lifestyle or we call it a choice, then it gets a little more fuzzy and a little more cuddly and people's a little more apt to accept it. And before you know it, we're walking around with it as our slogan going, what's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with this. Love wins. No, sin wins. Because you renamed it. And you quit calling it evil. And you quit calling it sin. And you gave it a different appearance, but it's still the same evil it was when God said it was evil. Quit cuddling up to it. Now, we got to figure out how to abhor the evil. Call it what it is, right? I've told y'all the story a thousand times about the janitor cleaning the bathroom mirror in the girl's bathroom, right? Y'all, y'all recall that one? The group of girls that would go in after school and kiss the mirror. I mean, would go in during school hours and kiss the mirror and fixing her lipstick and all that stuff. And this poor janitor had to clean this. Well, this teacher got tired of, of, of this janitor having to clean all this lipstick off this mirror so she just brought all the girls in the school into this one bathroom one evening and brought the janitor in and she said i just want y'all to see how much work and how much trouble it is for this lady to clean this mirror that y'all been kissing all day and getting your lipstick all over it and making this mess and she looked at the janitor and she said, Go ahead, clean, clean the mirror just like you clean it every day. And she takes her little scrub brush and she walks over to the toilet, dips it in the toilet and goes to scrubbing the mirror. <laughs> Needless to say, that mirror didn't get kissed near a time after that. You know why? Because the reality was brought to light. Now we're seeing it for what it really is. And when we see what it really is, we didn't want no part of kissing that. Right? So that's where we've got to get in our minds is view it for what it is. Quit renaming it. Quit letting it get fuzzy. Quit getting comfortable with it. Quit calling it something else. And And you know, the list is long. I mean, I just hate to get started on the list of things God is rolling through my head right now that we have renamed. Because I'm going to walk out of here with fewer friends than I had when I came in. But let me assure you, if God calls it sin, it is sin. Hate it. Despise it. Avoid it. Quit renaming it, quit cuddling up to it, quit getting comfortable with it and allowing it to move into your house and destroy your family. Because you look around and see sin and go, How'd that get here? You brought it in. You renamed it and invited it in. You invited it in through the TV, through the computer. You brought it in through a friend, through a book. You allowed it to lay there and grow. You didn't call it what it was and stomp it out. You didn't hate the evil. You got to hate the evil. You got to despise sin. Because God despises sin. We just, we just keep cuddling up to it and going, oh, it ain't that bad. No, it is that bad. And it's that bad not because Nick says it's that bad, because the Word of God calls it that. And we've got to take on that view in every aspect of life. And again, I could go on and on. Every aspect, no, no matter what we're talking about, if you keep letting this garbage come into your home and be accepted, knowing full well that it's evil and you're supposed to hate it, you ain't got nobody but yourself to blame when it takes over your family. When it destroys your household. When it runs rampant in our schools and in our community and in our churches. You did it. But as a true Christian, you'll look at it and call it what it is and you'll despise it. You'll abhor it. You'll avoid it at all costs. The next statement is, after he says, Abhor what is evil, he says... Hold fast to what is good. Now, I want you to think about your typical week. I want you to just let your mind just go there, just drift there. You're, you're just your typical week. Just whatever you normally do in a typical week. Whether that's, that's the, the daily grind and routine of, of get up and go to work and go through the process and get off work and get the kids here and get the kids there and get them cleaned up and get in the bed and start it all over again, or whatever, just your typical week. How much TV you watch, how much radio you listen to, how much drive time you have, how much downtime you have, how much idle time you have, how much, all of it. I want you to think about your typical week. And I want you to, in your mind, I want you to weigh out The amount of evil versus the amount of good. In other words, the amount of things that are genuinely evil that you encounter on a daily basis versus the amount of things that you encounter that are good. And I I want you to get a scale in your head of what that looks like. Good versus evil. Sin versus godliness. How much do you see, whether it's through the TV, whether it's through the radio, whether it's in real life, whether it's at Walmart, just your typical week, your job, wherever it's at, your typical week, how much evil, how many things do you encounter that you're told to hate and how many things do you encounter that you're told to hold on to? And I'm going to just take a random guess just based on my feelings and my thoughts and and the scenarios that I know exist and I'm going to say the evil well outweighs the good for the average person. There are people that make it a specific routine to not let that be the case and that's what we're trying to get to because see here what the Bible has just told us is to hate evil and hold on to what is good so in your mind you've got to be able to decipher the difference in the two and know what to let go of and what to hold on to right And if you don't intentionally think about it, that's how things get renamed and brought in because you didn't intentionally think about what is good and what is not and you held on to the wrong thing because you've just been told to abhor, to hate, to despise evil and hold on to what is good. And if you'll go with me to Philippians 4.8, I'll give you another example of, of Paul Making this same statement, and he goes into a little bit more detail about it on this this verse here. Finally, brothers, which means there's some other things you need to read ahead of this to get a full understanding in context, but for time's sake, we're going to take it from where it's at. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Set your mind on these things. Hold on to these things. You see that? Abhor what is evil. Hold on to what is good, and you flip over to Philippians, and Paul says, if you can find anything that's true, honorable, if you can find something that's pure, if you can find something that's excellent, if you can find something that's praiseworthy, don't let it get by you. Hold on to that. Think on these things. Set your mind on these things. Do you know how the Bible tells us to become more, um, more like Christ, more... Um, Ah, the words left me. Um, Anyway, how to not conform to this world, but to be transformed. Your mind. You've got to change the way you think. Now look at this. If you find anything that's good, anything honorable, anything excellent, anything praiseworthy, where are you supposed to put it? In your mind. Hold on to it, lock it in. Why? Because this little peanut you got between your ears has a whole lot to do with what the rest of this thing of you does. If you can get a hold of your thoughts, if you can dwell, your mind does not have neutral. It don't. It's never idle. It's not. If it were, you weren't have, wouldn't have dreams because that's when the rest of your body's resting. Your mind's still going. So you need to get control of this, right? You need to hate what is evil. You need to hold on to what is good. You need to lock it into your mind. You need to start your days with something to dwell on because if you don't give it something to dwell on, guess what it's going to do? It's going to grab a hold of something else. And let me tell you, from experience, not talking at you, talking with you this morning, If you don't give your mind something to concentrate on, to lock into, to dwell on, it's going to find the rankest, nastiest, dirtiest garbage it can possibly find. And that's what you'll think on all day long if you ain't careful. That's the truth. And, it, and that can be inspired by a song. It can be inspired by something you've seen on TV or something you've seen on, on the um, www Right? But if you'll intentionally give it something good to dwell on, it'll lock out that evil. It'll lock out that junk. That's why the Bible repeatedly tells us to hold on to the things that are good. Listen to me. There's so few and far between. When you find one of them, grab a hold to that thing. Don't turn it loose. Get a hold of it. I had one of those experiences this week on Friday. I got to a guy's place and, and I had to work on a backhoe for him. It took longer than I thought it would. But fortunately, this guy was a Christian. This guy was was a was a he was fired up, y'all. We had church half a day. Friday, I got to have church at this guy's place. And you know what I did the rest of the day? My mind, I just kept recounting that about the things that we talked about and about the things that, that he told me and about the confirmation that come from what he said to me. How God you and I just kept dwelling on that. And Friday was a great day. I can wake up in the morning and not have that experience. And if I don't consciously give my mind something to dwell on, it ain't no telling what kind of garbage I'll be thinking by the end of the day. And it ain't just me. (laughs) If you see something good, if you find something good, if you find something holy, if you find something true, lock it in. Hold on to it. Your mind doesn't have idol. And it'll take you places you did not want to go. Am I speaking to anybody that's experienced that this morning? That you you can't control it. You just think you can and all of a sudden there's garbage going through your mind and you're going, oh, where'd that come from? And if you don't call it evil, if you don't hate and despise evil and call it what it is, then before you know it, you're locked into it. The Bible says to hate those things that are evil and hold on to, lock into those things that are good. And this isn't just a little recommendation. This is a characteristics of a Christian, of a true believer, of a person that desires God more than they desire this world, right? And the proof of that is in our actions and how we do things. You can't tell me you desire God more than you desire anything in this world and walk around with your sin petting on it, refusing to give it up. Because you know that God wants you separated from that as far as the East is from the West. And you just keep returning to it. In one description, like a dog to his vomit. God's trying to purge it out of you, and you're trying to laugh it back in. Ugh. And it's what we do, right? We're guilty. Because at the heart of us is a selfish being that wants what we want, no matter what the consequences are. You've got to let self die. You've got to kill self. And replace it with the love of Christ and replace it with a desire for God. And whatever God's desire is for me is way better than what this world has to offer, no matter what it costs me. And that has to be the mindset. And until that's the mindset, these traits are going to be impossible to attain. And if you don't have these traits, guess what? Well, you finish that thought. These are the marks, these are the indicators a person that has a true desire for God they have to be present and they have to be visible you can't suppress them you can't hold them back it starts with genuine love a hate for evil and a desire to hold on to things that are good that's where it begins now the list goes on and on and on and I'm not going to go any further than that today um Next week we're going to get into love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor? Not receiving honor. Not, ta- not bringing attention to self. But outdo one another... Think about this. Listen to me. Look at this list. Read over this list. Look at these things and sit and ponder on them and allow your mind to soak these things in and see where they fit in your life and where, they are, where they're not in order, where they're where they're not no fit. And where there's not no fit, then start to pray, God, how do I get that fit? How do, I, how do I take on this characteristic? Because I'm telling you, this is a list of characteristics that we should see in ourselves as believers. And if they're not there... You know, it's like a person who claims to be a believer in Christ saying, or a follower of Christ saying, I don't have patience. Well, then are you really a follower of Christ? Because according to Scripture, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And as a believer, believer, the Spirit should be dwelling inside of you. So if you don't have patience... I mean, just saying, you know, just going to leave that land there and let you dwell on it. But it's the same thing about these characteristics. If they're not present, maybe it's time to self-examine and see where I really, really stand. Because it's just like the, the conversation I had Friday with that gentleman. Um, it finally got to a, a place where, I mean, we were just taking turns ranting about what's wrong with this world. And, and why it is where it is. And of course, both of our answers is the same. Anytime you take and remove God from something, it's going to get bad. Regardless of what it is, when you don't pursue God and you just let... I mean, we can go to the Bible and give you examples of this is what you got because you wanted the world more than you wanted God. And that's what we have today is a, is a great big example of that. So we, we kept going back to that and kept going back to that and kept going back to that. And I said, listen... If you and I had us a a talk show today, because, I mean, we was on a roll. I mean, it ain't no telling how many people could have got saved if they'd have been in our church uh, Friday. Because we was just that good. So once we got to that point, I had to stop us and remind him, you do realize that you and I are only where we are because of the grace of God. That's all. It ain't because of my knowledge. It ain't because of your knowledge. It's just because of the grace of God. In other words, you and I are only just a couple of decisions from being exactly where the people we're talking about are. So we're not exempt from it. That's got to remain. That's got to remain. It's the characteristics of God that we're trying to take on. And as we do that, it's going to be a battle inside of us. If y'all would stand, I'm going to ask Dale and them to come up here and, and lead us in a song of invitation. I'm going to encourage you that if God has spoke to you this morning that you would deal with that however God says deal with that. If it's come to this altar, then come to this altar. If it's bow at your seat, bow at your seat. If it's stand there like an old stiff board, then do that. Whatever God said do, that's what I want you to do. And I want you to take it serious this morning in your response to what God's pointed out in you, not because of what I said, but because of what He said in His Word.